0: This is the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm David Craner. It's never been easier to go from idea to digital design to physical product. The new hardware movement is radically changing the way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and connected. This podcast brings you the new generation of hardware creators who work
1: across the boundary between digital and physical. They're designers, engineers, scientists,
0: artists, and business people. For more information on the new hardware movement and the resources you need to become a full-stack hardware creator, visit O'Reilly.com hardware. And if you'd like to send in a question for us to discuss on the show, email us at hardware at
1: O'Reilly.com.
0: All right, we're here today with Sanjit Biswas, who is the founder of Samsara, which is a new industrial sensor company.
2: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, great to have you on the show. So tell us about what you're doing.
2: So as you said, we're building industrial sensors. Uh, We're actually building sensor systems. So everything from the sensors themselves to the gateways that relay the information back to the internet and the web service that ties it all together, helps you visualize, analyze the data, that sort of thing.
0: End to end. End to end, that's right. So what's the core challenge that you're up against? What is it that you're solving that, that hasn't been solved by, you know, half a century of of industrial sensors that are connected to things
2: yeah that's a great question so in general a lot of folks have deployed connected sensors a lot of those systems are antiquated and are kind of inflexible so if you wanted to run a factory it would be great for your control system you could make sure that if there's a safety problem you could stop the assembly line Mm But if you wanted to measure the flow and the pressure in a bunch of pipes or uh, measure energy consumption and see graphs of that, compare them site versus site or have an API to them, that's where those systems tend not to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're trying to do is build a more modern system that's very easy to deploy that works essentially out of the box. So as we think about these retrofit environments, you can just drop these products in mm-hmm. and you don't need to be a programmer necessarily. You could be an operations director uh, who just wants the data. Maybe he has some questions he's wanted to answer for years um, and he or she could can just pop them in right and so that's the experience we're going for and the challenge is making it all work right Mm -hmm. so you need to think about a wide variety of environments uh, figure out connectivity out security, and then also come up with useful analytics and reports that don't overwhelm uh, this perhaps non-technical
0: user. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is you're not it sounds then like you're not looking to replace like the industrial control systems that, that are existing in factories mm-hmm. already, right? Is this, right. So is this you're going for, for sort of greenfield, things that haven't been connected to, yeah, to sensors? Yeah, greenfield or complementary. Um,
2: so what we're finding is most industrial customers have deployed sensors mm-hmm. uh, for all different kinds of reasons, but they have an appetite for more data. So sometimes it's in an environment they already have a system and they want to tie in with it and maybe you know record the values they're already pulling off sensors. In other cases, they want to add to their system. So they want to now track all the vehicles that are out on the mm-hmm. road or field sites that didn't have sensors installed. So sometimes mm-hmm. they'll have what's called a SCADA system. And I forget exactly what the acronym expands to, but it's the most commonly deployed sort of architecture. And then they want to augment it or just essentially mm-hmm. uh, add on to it. So what, what kinds of sensors and what kind of... Um Sample rates are we talking mm-hmm. about here? Yeah, great question. So, uh, a few different types of sensors. The, the simplest one is a temperature and humidity and shock sensor. So, for perishable goods, if you wanted to essentially understand uh, in the supply chain, are things being kept refrigerated? Are they being moved around at the right times? All that kind of stuff. We give that visibility to the uh, end user. That frequency is on the order of every few seconds. So it's not microseconds or milliseconds. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. every couple of seconds we'll measure the temperature and show you a graph of that. Uh, We also have other sensors that can uh, tie into vehicles. So if it's a car, light truck, or even a heavy truck, like a big rig, we tie into the diagnostic port, pull all that telemetry off, and we can (laughs) tell you service states, fuel levels, all that kind of stuff. And then we have a third kind of sensor that ties into existing industrial systems. So that could be energy monitors, pressure transducers, flow meters, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So the form factor for your products is? Uh, well, there's two different components. There's the sensors themselves. They tend to be small, the size of a mm-hmm. matchbox kind of thing. And then we have a gateway, which is a little bit bigger, um, the size of a deck of cards and uh, then the web service. So the form factor kind of varies, I guess, depending on the application. I see. And, and so
1: so many ser- many sensors can be associated
2: with a single gateway. That's exactly the gateway. Right.
1: And then does the gateway connect via like Wi-Fi or cellular or?
2: Uh, our gateway actually does both. So we have uh, cellular and Wi-Fi built into the product. And the cellular is designed to work out of the box, sort of like an Amazon Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got a contract that is pre-provisioned it just kind of plugs in and works so you can put
1: it in the basement you can put it in your walk-in fridge you can put it in your shipping containers you can put it attached to your industrial equipment Mm -hmm. you can do literally whatever you want to it.
2: yeah and it also works on the road and so a lot of what we're hearing from our early customers are that they want uh,
0: mobile sensing as well as static Mm -hmm. sensing yeah so is this a case that you still have to make to to anyone that they should have sensors (laughs) on their things or is that just sort of accepted uh, wisdom now in, in industry
2: I think it's definitely more of the latter these days, um, especially the kind of big data movement, I think, opened people's eyes to actually having this information is incredibly valuable. Now it's one, uh, it's a conversation more along the lines of, well, how do we get the data? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are some logistical concerns there of how are we going to install these sensors? Who's going to maintain them? All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you run into uh resistance from kind of a conservative industry, like people who really, really want their incredibly expensive SCADA systems and their $100,000 PLCs everywhere on the mm-hmm. walls. Uh, people who say like, uh, I'm, I don't want something that a kid from <laughs> from California came up with. Yeah.
2: You know, we don't hear that that much uh, because oftentimes the person we're talking to is the the person in charge of that SCADA system or those PLCs. Mm-hmm. And they understand where they're good and where they have their limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, often it's the inflexibility that gets to them. And if they could just augment the existing system, they would try that first. It's just mm-hmm. easier. You have something installed. You might as well add a few more inputs to it. It's when they have to start doing things like figuring out how do we store the data? How do we make this an online service? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's where the... Existing systems
0: aren't quite as useful. And how difficult is it to d- for you guys to design one of these sensors? Now, is it is it a matter of taking modules and off the shelf in Shenzhen and putting them together, or, mm-hmm. or are you under a lot of like environmental constraints? And yeah, so we uh, always start with a prototype,
2: and to do that, we use off the shelf modules, kind of like what you'd find on SparkFun or Adafruit or something mm-hmm. like that. That helps us understand kind of will the sensor work practically? Is this going to sense the values that the customer wants? Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, we then go into a design cycle that involves everything from you know the printed circuit board, of course, but the plastics as well for environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. So for temperature sensing, um, often the environments that we get stuck in are pretty harsh, uh, not necessarily hazardous, but they're you know being sprayed down for cleaning reasons or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So we need to figure out well, how do we measure temperature and humidity uh, while also being somewhat sealed, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you have to think about IP67 ratings and things like that. Uh, at that point, we're going much more custom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit of an iterative process. And we'll do something like on the order of five to seven board spins before we commit and say, OK, let's go make you know tens of thousands of these. Right, mm-hmm.
0: right. A couple of years ago, when, uh, when we started to write about uh, the industrial internet mm-hmm. here at O'Reilly, um, I, I had a memorable day where I spoke with uh, two people on opposite ends of the spectrum, or one of them was at a startup out here in California that was uh, working in the industrial automation space. Mm-hmm. And they were like blown away by the economics of old SCADA systems. And they were yep. like, oh, you wouldn't believe how expensive these things they are. And they mm-hmm. have the power of like a, you know, a, a laptop in 1980 and, <laughs> and people pay so much money for them and they can't do anything. Uh, I'm just going to put a $200 Linux box in there and, yep. it, and it'll work. And then the same day I spoke with oh, someone. How did that go? Uh, I, I'm sure it went well in many cases, but in yeah. other cases, uh, you know, I spoke with someone at a uh, who's a Chrysler engineer, and I was like, "Oh God, you wouldn't believe some of these kids who come in here from they want to put a two hundred dollar Linux box in right. my <laughs> yeah in my factory." Goddamn it! They, there's like you know, it, if the thing goes down, it costs a million dollars a minute, mm-hmm. and 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 we have ninety percent packet loss through our yeah. Uh, th- the it,
1: conditions
2: it, are harsh. Like
0: yeah. consumer electronics are not spec'd for industrial
1: right applications. Right. Yeah, That's an important thing to remember.
2: Yeah, we just uh, had a product manager uh, who was out at a factory site, and he said there was about half inch of iron filings all over the equipment, right? <laughs> yeah. They make pipe fittings. Uh-huh. And so in an environment like that, is wireless going to work?
0: Where does the gateway go? How do the wires get routed? All those concerns mm-hmm. definitely come mm-hmm. up. And so is there any way to just like plan a, a generalized robust system that could anticipate any kind of any kind of environmental factor in a in a an in industrial setting?
2: Yeah, certainly that's the desire, right? One box
1: that sort of yeah. solves all these problems. Can you just like pot the whole thing in like inert resin or something <laughs> like
2: that? Mineral oil or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to measure temperature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you put get it, in, it put eventually. It a, yeah. put, it, put it
1: in a mason jar full of mineral oil. Right, yeah. right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could overclock it then too and mm-hmm. do all kinds of fun stuff.
1: Put some LEDs in there. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so I think uh in these environments there is a, a nice sort of intermediate point, which is you don't have to be running uh, you know, old nineteen eighties space station era technology anymore. Uh-huh. You can run stuff that, you know, comes from the smartphone era. But you do need to think about the industrial design and you need to think about the firmware mm-hmm. and the testing and the kind of telemetry and all that kind of stuff and that's kind of the interesting challenge i think as well which is the execution of all these ideas they're fairly obvious right mm-hmm. and you're like mm-hmm. okay we need a more modern cpu that makes sense we need more storage that also makes sense internet connectivity security check 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 but how do we actually put it all together and deliver it
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's your background by the way are you coming from uh the industrial side or the consumer side? Uh, Neither. (laughs) So uh, just my personal
2: background, uh, I have a computer science and electrical engineering background as an undergrad. And then I was a grad student at MIT for a couple of years. Uh, I was working on my PhD. Uh, we then started a company based on some of that research, which was called Meraki. Um, mm-hmm. So we made networking equipment for... Oh, uh, so like mesh networking yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. we had a PhD research project around mesh networking uh, at MIT that we then commercialized. Uh, so Meraki ended up building all kinds of networking equipment. We started with Wi-Fi, then we made switches, Ethernet switches, routers. Uh, and that's kind of how we really developed our hardware and manufacturing chops is mm-hmm. we yeah. made Twenty thirty some odd products, shipped them all over the world, uh, Meraki turned into an interesting business of its own, um, now does almost a billion dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. And so Cisco acquired Meraki about uh, two and a half or three years ago. Okay. And um, so I spent some time at Cisco, uh, kind of saw that side of things from mm-hmm. a very large multinational company's perspective, and then decided to start Samsara. So not so much from the industrial background or the consumer background, as much enterprise and networking.
0: Uh-huh. So what's been surprising as you've gotten into the industrial side?
2: You know, I I would be, if you back up, industrial is an environment that's been around forever, right, mm-hmm. you know, factories since the 1800s, right? Yeah, like this wielding
0: is, hammers over hot iron and stuff. Yeah,
2: like and there's a huge element to that still, right? So when we go out and visit an oil and gas company and visit some of their field sites, they can be dangerous, right? Like mm-hmm. there's hazardous gases, there's things that can explode. So it's a little different than IT, where mm-hmm. we're used to going into environments, you just see a bunch of computers or racks of mm-hmm. servers. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think the biggest surprise, I guess, has been how important the physical environment is and the role that it plays. I think the biggest... not surprised i guess is that uh, these folks really embrace technology so the idea of computerizing your factory floor or your remote sites that has been around for 25 30 years and mm-hmm. people have fully embraced it they're always looking for technologies that improve efficiency 5% 10% those are big numbers mm-hmm. in the industrial mm-hmm. world
0: so you're going from the from the it environment into the, into this place where you know environmental considerations are are insane um, did you have to get You know, engineers with a background in designing for those situations? Or was it easy enough to sort of figure out what the parameters are and then then design for them? Definitely more of the latter, where we're
2: finding that um, first of all, we've actually been hiring folks on the hardware side out of consumer. Uh, Mm -hmm. So our VP of hardware, Ben, uh, worked at Apple and he worked on the MacBook, um, which has to be an incredibly robust product if you think about Mm -hmm. it, right? How much people blow those things around and then the iPhone. And so again, uh, if you think about how much shock your iPhone takes and Mm -hmm. all the hazardous environments like people's pockets Mm -hmm. and purses that has to go through he has a lot of experience figuring out kind of creative solutions to enclosure design and thermals and Mm -hmm. um, just even electronics how they fit together Uh, so uh, we haven't uh, been able to just hire people out of enterprise in fact enterprise environments are pretty mundane right Uh like carpeted uh office spaces are just not that dangerous (laughs) but finding folks from consumer has actually been uh, our kind of unusual trick so Mm -hmm. far
0: right right um yeah so it is generalizable so you can sort of you can just go like well the the constraint here is that you know this it's going to be hot and it's going to be humid and mm-hmm. there'll be iron filings around
2: yeah and if you can survive the environment that's hot humid and has iron filings you'll be fine in the back of a refrigerated truck you'll mm-hmm. be fine you know in a water pump station or something like that. Mm -hmm. So if you design for some kind of envelope, everything within that fits, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. then there are some environments that we won't be able to go. And Mm -hmm. understanding where those limits are is the other piece of this. And customers let us know. They're very used to understanding, well, does your product have this certification and that certification? If not, we only have a few places where we can put you right now.
0: Yeah, How many
2: certifications have you accumulated? (laughs) Uh, It's a pretty long list because we have radio equipment, so we have to get FCC certs. It's electronic, of course, so there's the UL and the CE. We work with uh, large uh, nationwide wireless carriers, so they have their own certs, and then they're all the safety and certs, Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. a long list. Cool. Shall we go into tools?
1: Yeah, let's do tools. All right. Sure. Sometimes we do a segment called tools, which is about what kind of tools do you like you know be, be, being an engineer who's who's working mm-hmm. on a on a very relevant and and current project mm-hmm. you know i imagine hopefully there's some listeners out there who are interested in, in working on similar things or you know possibly working through your stuff or anything but like right what what do you like to use like when you're sitting down to do some some engineering work to design iot sensors mm-hmm. like what do you use for layout what do you use for like design how do you your enclosures, like just like what kind of tools do you like? Yeah,
2: so um, as you might imagine, we have a pretty uh, tall stack of tools, right? So we're making everything from plastics, we'll use SolidWorks for that. Uh, the board design, we do an eagle, um, and we try to actually keep it as simple as possible. So if possible, we'll try to do a two layer board, and mm-hmm. oftentimes you can't pull that off anymore, things are just a little too complicated. So we'll do a four layer, uh, but what we want to do really is. Align with kind of the bulk or the commodity uh, folks that are out there that are building you know tons and tons of circuit boards so we can get quick turn fabrication done and that for us is a huge deal is um, how can we prototype things very very quickly uh, and oftentimes you can't do it in your office or in your garage yeah. right um, you know these surface mount components are just too small right like you know so you, you can, guys go
1: out for assembly usually because yes this is the thing that we're seeing you know when people who are doing mm-hmm. hardware
2: startups and hardware
1: development at home or whatever is yeah the quantity sort of one is okay to make, but sort of the quantity of like 10 to 100 is really, can be difficult.
2: Yeah. And getting the yield to a point that mm-hmm. you're comfortable, you know, deploying 100 of a gateway or something like that, mm-hmm. building things in-house is difficult. So we'll use folks that are local, um, the San Francisco Bay Area. And there's, fortunately, we're kind of in the right spot for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there'll be like, you know, people down in San Jose who can do the circuit board assembly and pick and place and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll build one to five in-house when um, we have probably a similar setup to what a lot of hobbyists have we've got the toaster reflow oven and all that <laughs> kind of good stuff yeah. but it gets it done right and uh-huh. that's kind of the key is can we answer the question in the morning and you know go do another spin that afternoon mm-hmm. and then so that's kind of the hardware side of things um, we do get um, prototypes printed uh, we find that doing in-house 3d printing doesn't get us the resolution uh, mm-hmm. to get some of these finer details mm-hmm. uh, and captured is this boss the right size if we get a draft angle wrong something like that so we'll actually just go get somebody else to make it and FedEx it to us the next day. And who, and who do you usually go to? Uh, someone like a protomold. Okay. Um, and they just do quick turn. Yeah. Um, it's challenging, though, because even their kind of quick turn fabrication process doesn't quite capture everything you would in a even a soft tool, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to understand, did we get the embossing right? Yeah, It's hard, right? You have to kind Mm -hmm. of take a leap of faith. Uh, But that's getting closer to production product. When we're in prototype mode, we're just happy if it's the right form factor and Mm -hmm. kind of gets the the point across. Uh, And then on the software side, it's a Linux stack, right? So we love open source software. It makes things easy to debug um mm. you know we'll we'll write everything in either go or if we're writing on the gateways it's because it's just a more flexible language yeah. uh, you can make a lot of kind of innocent errors and it'll catch them which is great uh and then embedded c for the sensors themselves those tend to be microcontrollers uh, or like cortex m0 or something sure, sure. you're not
0: gonna have a full uh, go executable on that yeah. right do you ever go really low level and, and do assembly or anything
2: uh yeah on the um so on the sensors themselves, we care a lot about power consumption mm-hmm. um, because these things are really asleep most of the time. That's how we achieve three to five-year battery life. Yeah. Um, so we will examine assembly at that point. We'll try to avoid it because it's hard to reason about assembly in a complex uh-huh. program. But sometimes you do need to get to that level to say, well, did we set the right register or not? Mm-hmm. 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 Cool. Yeah, good stack. It <laughs> is a good stack. It's a deep and, stack.
1: And all those tools are, are very accessible to a lot of people, I think. I think it's, it's not nearly as expensive as many people would think these days to get Electronics prototyped, right? Because I mean, not at all. Free open source software is free and open source. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Eagle is relatively inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Getting a run of PCBs done, even if you're doing it in the US just for the boards, is like a couple
2: hundred dollars probably. Yeah. Um, or less if you yeah. get like a batch PCB or something yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. Assembly is
2: more expensive, I think. Mm hmm. But five
0: years ago could you have had this startup
2: I think you could but you would have been spending more money and things would have taken a lot longer mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so and and I think about this not just five years ago but ten years ago um, I studied electrical engineering as part of my undergrad and we were building um, some networking boards mm-hmm. and it was like a three-month process to like really check if a design worked uh-huh. and at the time we were working on 100 megabit which was very fast and it you know it would work but not quite at the full performance and things like that. Now I think there's a lot more certainty when you Mm -hmm. get a design made, all the yields are way, way higher than they were before. So it's become a lot easier to kind of feel like you're making progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's less frustrating, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can iterate a lot more. You can iterate a lot more and, and feel like, you know, what you're doing is working. Mm -hmm. What's the most remarkable thing that you think has changed? Uh, Well, a lot. The the (laughs) the nice thing about hardware is there's this kind of silent march of Moore's law, right? Mm -hmm. So, of course, everyone talks about how the chips have gotten more powerful and cheaper. Uh, The thing that I notice is the chips have gotten much lower power Mm -hmm. consumption-wise. And that, I think, is driven by the wearables um, push, right? Um, And laptops started it, but then smartphones and Fitbits and all those kind of devices have made everything very, very low power. Mm -hmm. So if we think about the power consumption of uh, your Fitbit, you can get it way down right into mm-hmm. like the microwatt range when it's sleeping, and that wasn't possible before. The leakage current was actually what got you right. Hmm. So even if you yeah. just put
0: the device to sleep, it's using one
2: milliamp, which really adds right. up. That's right, a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The, I mean that that transformation is the thing that we focus on here. Everything getting cheaper and easier and faster, and what that enables. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's interesting because um, you know industrial applications are are probably some of the less price sensitive applications Mm -hmm. right for connected devices what's your what's the way you think about price sensitivity in your in your market how much time do you spend wringing everything out of the bomb um to to try to bring costs down
2: well i think there is um it's definitely a concern that we have to keep in mind Uh, and it limits the certain kinds of applications. So for example, you can put a sensor on every pallet of goods, but putting it on every box, not quite there. Maybe an Mm -hmm. RFID tag, but not a full sensor. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's some fundamental limits in the market today. Now, whether you spend three cents on a capacitor or one cent, kind of immaterial. Mm-hmm. But whether you spend $50 on the chipset or $10 is material. Uh-huh. So there's uh-huh. kind of that threshold. I would say when you're talking about dollars, we care. When you're talking about pennies, not as much. We just want to make sure the quality is high. Mm-hmm. So we'll yeah. we'll kind
0: of play it conservative and just get the highest quality part. What is the what is in round numbers the pricing on, on one of your sensors?
2: It varies. Um, I would say ballpark anywhere in the 70 to 100 something dollar range. Uh, And again, these are industrial sensors, so that's fairly inexpensive.
1: Industrial quality, Mm -hmm. high spec, specially designed for application, low volume, Mm -hmm. and also lots of certifications right that's a yeah pretty, yeah that's a pretty yeah. reasonable price for those things
2: yeah exactly and that's kind of how we think about it is we're not trying to lead with price but it needs to be a reasonable price so you can deploy it at scale because most yeah. of our
0: customers are thinking about well how do i
2: how would i put you know a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand of these out there
0: yeah There are people who haven't already put these sensors in place under the the existing price structure of like old school industrial automation systems right and our kind of rough goal that we had in mind
2: is as we think about the system cost so if you were to try to spec out i want to monitor 300 pump stations mm-hmm. and how much is it going to cost me under a traditional you know, system versus what we're providing. We wanted to go for something like a 5 or 10x reduction mm-hmm. um, just to make it possible to start deploying in environments that weren't previously being covered by sensors. Mm-hmm. And the philosophy here is that we believe the market is much bigger than 10 times what's already out. there. Right. Right. If we bring the cost down, hopefully we open that market up.
0: Right. I mean, there's a lot of like mid-scale industry that hasn't seen any kind of automation or instrumentation Mm -hmm. Um, or if it's instrumented it's not connected because there is that there's that huge cost wall and i think you guys are are one of several interesting startups that are approaching that part of the market where you can you can get a lot of value out of adding sensors to the types of businesses mid-sized businesses you know um the the less critical assets of large businesses um that that have never been instrumented before
2: yeah i was also surprised to learn um things that I thought would have been instrumented that aren't. And that space is fairly large. So I thought, for example, all the commercial vehicles on the road have GPS tracking. Yeah. And a good fraction of them do, but it's on the order of 20, 25%. So, really? you know, three fourths of them don't. Yeah. Um, and that makes a big difference, right? Not just from, it's not necessarily for oversight as much as it is for, you know, better customer service. If you wanted mm-hmm. to say, our delivery guy is on the way or the service person's on the way um, and they're going to be there in half an hour, you should be able to see that on a Google map and mm-hmm. kind of get the mm-hmm. time to destination. That is considered exotic, kind of mind blowing technology. And mm-hmm. that's what we're able to demo. Huh. Uh, same thing with food safety, right? Uh-huh thought that um, all the meat and dairy products and vaccines and other pharmaceuticals, all of this kind of stuff you would have imagined is part of some big database. And you can see Mm -hmm. exactly where the gaps are in the supply chain. Uh, a lot of these folks are flying blind right now. And mm-hmm. so when we're able to show them a graph of the last four days that some truck crosses you know, the United States to deliver uh, dairy product to you, it blows their mind. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. technology, right? That's kind of the fun part is if you can give people data, they know what to do with it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, this is kind of my theory of the Internet of Things and what's driving it is that um, starting you know, 10 years ago, the big data idea came along mm-hmm. and everyone instrumented everything that was already connected to the Internet somehow. Right. Uh, and now everything that's on the Internet, Internet is instrumented and poured over by machine learning algorithms and understood very thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And that's revolutionized all the digital fields, media, advertising, online right. retail and so on. Um, and then everyone is kind of like blinking groggily and looking out their window and going, oh, my God, the, the rest of the world hasn't been instrumented like this at all. Right. But I mean, this kind of thing where like you have you have. $50,000 assets, delivery trucks or whatever, driving around and have no instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, when you click on a on a, a third tier link on the Huffington Post, that's <laughs> right. like incorporated into a massively sophisticated yeah. intelligence yeah. system.
2: Yeah, and now you'll see something kind of relevant to that link for the next half an hour while you browse around the Yeah, internet. yeah, yeah. Right. So it's a very sophisticated system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. So if people want to find you online, where do they go? Uh, easy, samsara.com, S-A-M-S-A-R-A.com.
0: Excellent. Sanjit, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Great. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks very much. For links and other information
1: related to this week's episode, visit O'Reilly.com hardware and send your questions and comments to hardware at O'Reilly.com.
0: If you enjoyed the program, make sure you've subscribed on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really enjoyed it, consider leaving us a review. Until next time, I'm David Crane, And I'm John Bruner.